Welcome to Highway to Well. I'm your host, Derek Bell, and this podcast is brought to you by the American Nurses Foundation through the generous support of the Center for Disaster Philanthropies Recovery Fund. The American Nurses Foundation has undertaken this work as part of its well-being initiative, which supports nurses' mental health through the pandemic and beyond. Decades of research have shown that practicing gratitude is highly effective in promoting physical and psychological health, both at the individual and organizational levels. This podcast series builds up previous work conducted by the American Nurses Foundation in partnership with the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. In this episode, we're talking with Perry Gee. Perry has over 38 years of nursing leadership experience and currently is a nurse scientist for Intermountain Healthcare. Perry also receives abundant joy from his one-year-old granddaughter while he is not cross-country skiing. And in this episode, we're going to dive into the value of self-compassion and discovering how we can improve our gratitude practices and how this translates into a culture of self-care and gratitude at our worksite. Perry, the gratitude practices for nurses is such a powerful resource toolkit. But I want to take a step back and talk about what do we need to cultivate in ourselves to give gratitude a better chance for success? What is it that you think we need? Well, thank you so much for having me today, Derek. And I really am excited about this topic. And I think to increase gratitude in nurses, we need to take those steps back that you mentioned and start with empathy. Okay, and, and when we understand the concept of empathy, it's that, that what does other people feel? How do, we, how do we know what they feel? Are we listening to them actively? Are we not judging them? Are we being aware of them? And keep in mind that empathy plus um, this desire to help someone is what compassion is. And so I think compassion is the nursing superpower. You know, that's what we do well. That's what we know. That's what, what gives us so much joy. And, and, and later on, I want to connect compassion, especially self-compassion, to the work that we do with gratitude. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important that we talk about, and, and you brought up those key things, that if, what we do when we start talking about empathy is we increase our awareness and then we connect that to our desire to help and that comes into that compassion and, and we know that in in our work today that there is a lot of compassion fatigue and that we're, we're combating that and we're constantly feeling like we have to combat this and we have all these um, these impacts in our environment that are that are stressful uh, we know our work is meaningful and it's important and it's needed. And and then sometimes uh, that our ability to be satisfied and create those skill sets for compassion satisfaction, it, it gets lost in the midst and in the quagmire of all this other stuff that we have that we're trying to overcome. And a lot of that comes back to our self-talk and kind of what it is that we're telling ourselves. And, and so how do we compete with those voices and you know those clouds of stress and frustration and moral injury and how do we control that self-talk to increase chances for improving Derek if we if we have a second I'd love to tell you a little story that I heard from a fellow nurse uh, earlier this year I was talking to her about compassion and self-talk and self-compassion 
And she shared a story with me. She's an operating room nurse. She was in a very difficult case. And um, she was scrubbed in across from the surgeon. Um, the room was quiet. And she made an error of some sort. We didn't talk at all about the error. The error did not hurt the patient. But I think it might have slowed the case down some. And it really frustrated the other members of the team. Um, as the case went on, there was three more hours that they had to endure, that she had to stand there face-to-face -face with that surgeon. And during the three hours, she said she spent every moment of that beating herself up inside her own head, telling herself she wasn't good enough. Why did she even become a nurse? I probably don't have the skills to work in the operating room. Why am I even here? The case was over. The patient was fine, moved on to the re recovery room. And the nurse realized why did I do that to myself? She was exhausted after that case from beating herself up, more exhausted than she normally is after a case. And she said to herself, why did I do that to myself? And so I really think this is a very important piece. And this is something that nurses can do. Um, when we talk about the pillars of self-compassion, um, we talk about the very first pillar is that of self-kindness, right? And, and not to judge yourself, to, to, to think to yourself, remember, we need to remember that we are good enough. It, it can't be that we are just saying that we're good enough or saying that we, we have to believe that and we have to stop that negative self-talk and say to myself, you know what, I'm okay, I'm good enough. And so that takes an understanding of this common humanity that we're all going through right now. All of us are struggling. Every one of us has self-talk, negative self-talk. It's how we control that. It's how we learn to control that. You know, we all have anxiety and fear right now. Every one of us, nurses or not. And then the way we can control that, I think, is through mindfulness. And by mindfulness, I mean being present, being aware of what we are thinking. This is something that I learned myself five or six years ago. When I learned about these concepts, I realized, wow, I can talk that, stop that negative talk that's going on in my head. That's been going on my entire life. And I really didn't think I had the ability to stop it. And you know how it can tend to spiral out of control and get worse and worse and worse until you're, you're creating anxiety and you're creating your own stress hormones. This is a chance for you to be kind to yourself. So first you, you notice, you're, you're present, you notice that you have that self-talk. And then next you say, you know what? You know what, I made that mistake, but that's okay. The patient is fine. My relationship with the surgeon is still fine. Everything is gonna be okay. I don't need to beat myself up th for three hours during this case, I'm just fine. So that that is something that needs to be practiced. And I think for me, Learning the, the process, learning the practice of mindfulness helped me then be able to notice my negative self-talk, helped me then to be present and be able to stop that. And I think that's a skill any nurse could learn. And we could teach that, by the way, to our patients and families and community members as well. Yeah, I, I love the process that you're going through here. And it's, it is challenging because... We're, we're in an environment that is so demanding in the moment. And then, like you said, sometimes that moment happens, and yet you're stuck in that moment for a period of time while there's a procedure going on and while care is happening. And in your head, are you really present? Are you able to conduct the work you need to do? And are you, 
Are you really giving the patient the care that that you want to? And we all, we all know that you want to, but there's these these clouds and this negativity that sits there. And and also in your role as a nurse leader, and I love that you talked about this is a skill practice. So we're not inherently born adequately able to control our self-talk in a positive way all the time. Even though we probably, most of us know when we're being negative, it's a control mechanism that we have to practice. And, and you bring it up that it's a skill set that has to be mastered. So as a nurse leader too, I wanted to ask you how, you know, and we talk often about nurses carry badges and honor of things like I didn't have lunch today or I've worked so many hours in a row. But how do we create and, and you and especially in your role as a nurse leader, how do we how do we create these new badges where the honor is taking care of yourself, the honor is changing your self-talk, the honor is in doing these mindfulness practices. And how can how can leaders also cultivate this? I think that is a great number one. One one of the things that I do, Derek, is I, I go out and I give a lot of talks to nurses about well-being, and I talk to them about my journey as I learned about gratitude, as I learned about mindfulness. And, and by the way, I share with them, and I think this helps in the healthcare setting, I share with them that there's science behind these, and that helps people connect. You know, it, so often these, these things like mindfulness and, and meditation and gratitude, people think, oh, this is something that's relatively soft but it's not. There's great science. If you look at the work of Robert Emmons at the University of California, Davis, he has real science showing that that we can uh, reduce cortisol levels by just practicing gratitude. So when nurses hear these things, it really helps them. So I reinforce the science. I also, as a leader, reinforce that I do these practices myself every single day. I use the word gratitude frequently in emails or grateful. I'm grateful for you for this, trying to reinforce that terminology. And then last, I just saw recently in a meeting, and I really love this. Our um, our lead well-being person for physicians um, at, at my organization is a person named Dr. Ann Pindo, who's somebody I really admire. And she's been working very hard, like I have, over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, and announced at our last meeting, hey, I'm going on a family vacation. And then she stopped us and she said, by the way, this is going to be a real vacation. I won't be working. I'm not going to be answering my emails. And um, I just want you to know that. So don't, you, you won't be able to connect with me for the next week. I will be gone. And it's true. She did that. She reminded us of that. And she even put it in her automatic reply on her email. Hey, I, I am on vacation and, and I'm relaxing with my family. I will not be able to answer your emails right now. Here's what you can do. I love that. That's not common practice in healthcare, uh, certainly in the executive ranks, but also with, with all nurses. We, we don't frequently do that. We don't honor taking time off. Yeah, I that is it, some of this when we're talking about it and it's reflective of we have the opportunity to change something and it may seem small, almost meaningless, like your out of office message. Yet it takes somewhat of a brave step for anyone to put on their message, I am out exploring. I'm not going to be available. I will return your message upon my return and maybe leave someone's note if there is an emergency, contact this person. 
but I've seen more of those lately and it brings as a wellness professional myself, it brings me great joy to see us having the opportunity and feeling like we've, we've gotten permission now to say these things because those barriers are so important. I mean, those boundaries that we're creating are so important that they become that barrier to creating grace and space. And that's really what you're talking about here as a, as a leader and as an advocate for the well-being of your nurses and other healthcare providers too, and allied health. And we're all in this together. And what you've done is you're creating the opportunity for permission to in space to say, here's what I need and I'm going to take care of this and, and we'll all work together to accomplish the big goal. And so part of that is making sure that we all do what we need. And if it means putting in your out-of-office message that you're going to be exploring with your family, you're on a vacation or you're taking time for you. I love seeing those. That means to me that that speaks to a healthy environment. And so that's that's something that's critical. And I know you and I have talked about what that environment feels like now and that there's a there's a word burnout that has become our big focus. And we continue to talk about it in ways and try to think about it and how that word itself might impact our self-talk and our compassion practices. And I think in that we're challenged by our environment, obviously, we all know this, and a lot of that isn't something that is necessarily going to be going away. And despite all of the practices and all these things that we're trying to do, we're still going to have our stressful environment. But what can we do or what what are your thoughts about burnout as that global term for that disconnection from work and disengagement from joy and life and what what is it that you see about that focus that has impacted our self-talk and our compassion practices? I'm so glad you brought that up, Derek. And and burnout is something I've been studying for several years, and it is exhaustion and cynicism and inefficiency, and it's a work-related condition. And and burnout it is something that if we weren't working, we most likely would not have. But what we always have is compassion fatigue. I may have be compassionate towards my neighbor or compassionate for uh, what's happening with immigration or what's happening with, with something around the country. I may have empathy fatigue just for, for worrying so much ab- about others. I may have secondary trauma as a nurse because I work in the emergency department or I work in the OB department and I see people suffering every single day and that may bring secondary trauma to me. I may have moral injury and moral distress frequently in in nursing. We have to do things that sometimes we don't want to or we don't feel are right. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, we, you know, we stopped allowing visitors uh, during the pandemic and we we didn't feel good about that. You know, here I have a dying family member and, and we won't even allow uh, someone to come in and visit them. That, that was terrible. That made me feel terrible as a clinician. We have a cumulative grief where we've lost many, many patients over the, ne- the last few years. That adds to this. We have just general stress. We have personal stress like everyone else. I'm, I'm stressed about my children. I'm stressed about my ger- grandchildren. I'm tr- stressed about the community. And then nurses, like all uh, other people in the population, we have a level of anxiety and depression. That's normal, just the same level that the general population would have. And some nurses, in fact, as many, they say as many as 18% of nurses have some degree of PTSD. 
So we have all of those other conditions lumped in with this term of burnout, and it's not necessarily burnout. And we treat all these conditions differently. So for example, for compassion fatigue, we can treat that ourselves with compassion satisfaction. That's the cool thing about compassion is that when we when we pour out compassion to others, we also get something from it. Um, we get that good feeling when we're able to spend time with our patients and help them alleviate their pain or help them move on to the next phase in their life. We get a compassion satisfaction and that'll help us combat things like compassion fatigue. So every one of those conditions that I mentioned has a slightly different uh, intervention or or method or strategy to, to help improve well-being. And, and maybe people have a combination of all of those, and, and that may change from day to day. But it's not just burnout. Yeah, I, I love that, that you're framing burnout in a more, I don't want to say more complex, but breaking it down because I think we get caught up in this global idea of what burnout is and what we're actually talking about is a set of all these different factors and they all have different types of interventions that can help and they all fall under this larger umbrella of these gratitude practices and in this in this opportunity that we have to rewire the very fabric of our soul and provide ourselves um, some space to practice and, and develop these skills to be the antidote to all these different things that are happening to us or that were are part of our our stress load. And so I, I love that you broke that down and 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 helped us see that we can do these different we can have a set of different practices for each of these. And that is something that we want to do here and express um the, the bountiful resources that are part of the toolkit and also learn from you about examples of what we could do today. So I wanted to ask you and and what what is it that you would suggest that people could do right now? A couple gratitude practices that that they can listen to here and then walk away saying, "Oh, that is something I need to do." What what are a couple really good ideas that you have? Well, I, no, number one, so I started practicing gratitude myself several years ago, and before I get out of bed every single morning, I think to myself three things that I'm grateful for at that moment. Every single morning I do that. I take a couple deep breaths. I don't even get out of bed and I do that. That's that's one thing that's easy. Another thing that's easy, and by the way, these things don't cost anything either. And, and they don't really take a lot of time. The second one I was really invite you to join me or in in being mindful about the conversations that are going on inside your own head. This has really changed my life being able to do this. So what are those conversations that are going on into your head? And I want you to try to shift those conversations from something that might be negative to something that you're grateful about. So first, you have to be present and notice that negative self-talk in your head. So now you notice that and, and just try this. Try it at home tonight with your family even. What is that negative self-talk that may be going on inside your head? And then second, once you notice it, stop it. And you have the ability to stop it immediately. You could stop that negative self-talk. And then third, change the narrative. So think in that moment about something you're grateful for. 
I was telling Derek, I live on the side of a really beautiful mountain. When I look out the window, I, every single day I see that mountain and I think to myself, wow, I am so lucky. I'm so grateful that I live here. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful I have a home. Uh, it's really easy to find something that you're grateful for. Maybe I'm grateful because I was first in line at Starbucks before work this morning. Whatever that thing is, you're grateful. And so those are, so it's really simple. You notice your negative talk in your head. You stop it. By the way, I, I now stop my negative self-talk with a smile. And then I notice what I'm grateful for. And it can be anything, the smallest thing in the world. Maybe I'm, I'm grateful that, that my dishwasher works, or I'm grateful that I have this great uh, meal for dinner tonight, whatever those things are. And, and that will help stop that negative talk in your head. That is, you touched on a couple of things that I love here. And for the people listening is, first of all, that self-talk, and you did this, you talked about this earlier. So I, I just want to connect this back to when you go and you talk to people about practicing gratitude, you're telling your story about what you have done. And that is, that's that opportunity we have with our self-talk is think about what is our story telling us now? What do we want it to be? And you're taking us and putting us in that active role in our own story. And that is something that we don't do often. We tend to be passive or we assume or let others control our story. And what you're doing is really taking control of your own narrative. And to do that, you have to practice presence. And that's what you're doing in these moments, like whether it's being first in line in something or whether it's noticing the sunlight. And for people like me that live in a part of the country that's gray often, sunlight is a very important very meaningful micro moment oftentimes. So those are such valuable pieces to this picture. And those are things that we can do right away and include that, whether that's the three things I'm grateful for, or whether it's the noticing and, and thinking about our self-talk and then recognizing those micro moments, those valuable opportunities for us to say, you know what, this is, this is a tough day, but man, it is so nice outside now. Or just take that opportunity and just flip it on its head and think, this is a story I want to tell about myself and my day here. And you're doing that. And that speaks volumes about that, that in a way, mentoring and, and in that leadership role that you have, but also creating, like we talked about, the grace and space and permission for people to practice this. Perry, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. This was an amazing conversation. I think you and I could talk all day about this, so we might have to put up some more episodes where we get to dive in deeper, but I love the opportunity we had to talk about these and, and being kind to ourselves and opening ourselves up to to the value of gratitude. And, and like you said, the science behind it says that it will lead to a benefit, a well-being benefit that we're all seeking. So thank you again for your time today. Thank you, Derek, and thanks for serving our nurses. Yeah, thank you. And, and we want this to be an opportunity to to really as as perry did here is to talk about the toolkit as as a practical way for w things that we can include in our life and these are shining examples of, of the value of the toolkit and in other episodes that we have coming up we'll continue to talk about really and learn from our experts the best ways that we can utilize these gratitude practices and integrate them into our life again thank you for listening we'll talk again soon